This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. You're just not got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA Media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome. It's Saturday, 25 February in the year of our Lord, 2023. We're here. We're talking about the early days, early years of the Third World War. We're in the second year now, officially, of the war in Ukraine. Frank Gaffney has been uh, talking with us. Frank, you said the industrial base has kind of gone away, the industrial base to, to keep us a military power. Why has that happened and what needs to be done? Because right now, correct me if I'm wrong, we're sending basically one, virtually 100% of our ammunition, bullets, things like that uh, to Ukraine. And we're already hearing that, you know, we're, we're six months behind in Taiwan and they're more than six months behind in getting the M1, A1 tanks. Walk us through this, this issue of logistics and, and industrial base. Well, let's start with the industrial base, Steve. And uh, with your very considerable help, we've put together a new book called The Indictment. And one of the strongest points of the book is that we have been subjected to war crimes by the Chinese Communist Party. And just a perfect example of one of those is the Rust Belt. I don't know that anybody else has quite connected this dot before, but that didn't just happen. That, that factories that produced, uh, among other things, the arsenal for democracy over decades, but also the, the strength of our economy, the, the dominant position that we've had uh, as a manufacturing nation for many years, that was taken out by the Chinese Communist Party, as you know, as part of their economic warfare strategy, which was part of their larger unrestricted warfare strategy. And so whether you look at the defense industrial base as a sort of microcosm of that problem or at the macro picture, it's a story of how this country's greatest economic power was sapped, stolen from us in an act of economic warfare by the Chinese Communist Party. And on the defense industrial side in particular, they, they sort of convergence, if you will, of all of that with this sort of notion of the end of history after you know the Soviet Union was taken down by Ronald Reagan. That led to a notion, especially coupled with this idea that, well, as long as we make the Chinese rich, they won't be a problem. They'll be happy campers. They'll be part of the international community. Uh, we'll maybe compete with them, but, but it'll be an active trading relationship, right? No. What they determined to do was to use um, the pretext, the so-called hide-and-bide strategy of uh, Deng Xiaoping, the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, at the time that the Soviet Union was defeated. He said, 
that Cold War is over. The Soviets lost. A new Cold War has begun. We will win. China will win. And they set about concealing from us, hide what their true intentions were, and bide their time so that they could both take down this country through unrestricted warfare, and they could build up China, among other things, in, in terms of its military power as well. We mostly missed the memo. We allowed our defense industrial base, as we've talked about, Steve, to contract uh, artificially and foolishly, foolishless, foolishly, excuse me, and where we find ourselves today is it's not nearly up to the job of being the arsenal for democracy that we need it to be, um, not least to defend ourselves. It's a war crime. I mean, they did this in conjunction with our financial and economic elite and political class. Uh, you know, the um, exactly. was it Graham Allison came here to the to the war room or to Breitbart uh, years ago uh, when his book came out, I think, Destined for War, which is about the mm. Thucydides trap. Which is, you know, you have to, you know, you have Athens and Sparta since the Peloponnesian Wars. I think it's 14 times in world history this has happened. You have a declining power and a rising power, and where they didn't reach some rapprochement or accommodation, it always led to some catastrophic, catastrophic war. Um, and, and here in the decline, when he was here for lunch, I said, hey, here's one of the problems with your theory. You don't have any examples where the elite and the declining power made more money on the way down than they made on the way up. And uh, and that's a situation right. we have today. So when we say the CCP is guilty of a war crime. Isn't that war crime the perpetrators that actually American citizens that worked in conjunction with the CCP to take all the industrial base uh, to mainland China? Uh, it's a critically important point, Steve. And, and this indictment is aimed at both the Chinese Communist Party and at their enablers in our own country. And you're absolutely right. One of the other war crimes, I would suggest, in this indictment is the very successful use of what the Chinese call elite capture. Peter Schweitzer has written a terrific book called Red Handed, as you know, on this subject, naming names, documenting the extent of it, not just in you know, the business sector. And you're absolutely right. Wall Street has been arguably the worst of the lot. And we can talk more about what that's meant for the rest of this enterprise, but academia, the media, the culture, and of course, not least, our political elite have all been captured um, egregiously. The commander in chief of the United States is among those and has been working, I believe, assiduously for our enemy, as have many of these others. And it's put us in mortal peril. Uh, they persist in it. The Wall Street guys are to this day intent on putting still more, and again, I mention this every time we're on air, your money, folks, if they're, if you're in pension funds, if you're in mutual funds, or if you're in index funds or exchange-traded funds or other investment vehicles that Wall Street manages for you, you can bet that a portion of your funds are in China. And if, God forbid, Steve, as we were talking about earlier, this second front old-fashioned shooting war with China, you're going to lose every dime of it. And not a one of those captains of industry or masters of the universe or whatever you want to call them on Wall Street are telling you the truth about that. Instead, they're interested in getting more fees by putting more of your money over there even now under these circumstances. It is not only reckless 
and and malfeasant, I believe, in terms of their fiduciary responsibility. It's treasonous. Let's go. Let's go to that. If you want to avoid, if we don't have the industrial base, if it takes us too long to ramp up, if we don't don't have the money to continue to pay, you know, uh, almost a trillion dollars in in defense spending. You go back to the Chinese; they didn't have any of that, any of that money either. They looked at the Gulf War and said, "Hey, um, if we have to fight <laughs> foreign devils with the technology they have, <laughs> we're never going to beat them because they're so far advanced." After they saw the combined arms and the intelligence and, and, and the remote uh, targeting we could do during the Gulf War. And they came up and they wrote unrestricted warfare. Walk through unrestricted warfare of what we should do today because we don't need for us to fight a kinetic war in the South China Sea, the Western Pacific, around the, the, the East Asian, uh, Eurasian landmass as a second front of the Third World War right now would be suicidal. Um, mm. our, our sociopathic oligarchs, uh, and overlords have us really funneling every piece of ammunition, every piece of logistics we have into the Ukraine war uh, w- with with starving the other. So we have to be creative. What is unrestricted warfare? How have the Chinese used it against us? And how can we immediately, immediately flip the table on them economically, uh, technologically, uh, cyber information warfare? Frank Gaffney. Well, just a small corrective, Steve. Their insight into the necessity of using unrestricted, that is to say, non-kinetic means to take us down, predated that spectacular victory um, in the Gulf War by a decade and some. Back in 1999, they were putting together this, uh, you know, game plan. Excuse me, I've got my timing off. You're right. No, no, no. They, they, yeah, they, yeah they, the Gulf they, War they was in the early 90s. They were so blown away by Schwarzkopf's briefings and what happened they, in the remote targeting. They came to the conclusion, we, we militarily will never, almost have no chance of catching up to the foreign devils. <laughs> the, the foreign devils are that good with combined arms. I mean, they were in shock. This also shows you well, how adaptive they are. They looked yeah, at that and I, said, I, well, we can't just do that. We, we got to be smarter than that. You're right. My math is wrong, but your point is right. This was a wake-up call for them and others around the world, by the way. And I think what they decided to do was not to give up on the possibilities of military might being used against us, but just to patiently build that up over time, but to start immediately with these other techniques for taking us down. And, um, you know, you've you've asked the right question. Um, What did they envision? And we we go through this in some detail, drawing on the unbelievable resource that we've created at the Committee on the Present Danger of China, which you've done so much to help inspire and and, uh, nurture, Steve. Some 70 different webinars we've now produced, about an hour, hour and a half long in some cases, that have walked through in exhaustive detail how unrestricted warfare has been waged against us and with what effect. And also, by the way, who's been helping them do it. And over time, whether it's in this area of uh, economic warfare, whether it's the elite capture that they've engaged in as kind of a, a part of their political warfare against us, their information operations, their energy um, warfare, uh, they're working to take down our military. That's another playbook item, by the way with help from the Democrats, uh, most especially in our Congress, you've seen 
over time, them adjusting the correlation of forces, as the Soviets used to say. And it's been through this succession of uh, criminal acts against our country. You often say, and you're absolutely right about this, what we're dealing with is not a communist party as much as it is a transnational criminal organization. And in addition to the war crimes against us, it's engaged in the most horrific crimes against humanity in history. And for all these things, all these reasons, it should be prosecuted at a minimum in the court of public opinion, if not through using actual military techniques. But to your question about, so what can we do to flip the tables on them with unrestricted warfare of our own? I think the obvious place to start is by denying them the funding that they are using to do so much of the malevolent things they engage in around the world, including, by the way, helping the Russians in Ukraine. That's mostly our money. And if Wall Street and, and investors would simply stop putting their money over there, essentially found money, discretionary spending money, um, it would begin to change the whole, I think, trajectory of what may be otherwise an unnecessary, avoidable, and disastrous conflict of the old-fashioned kind with China. Uh, Frank, hang on. We're going to continue this uh, conversation in, in just a minute. Uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. By the way, Frank is going to be at CPAC. We want everybody to join us. Go to cpac.org slash war room. You get $47 off the ticket by going to the war room vertical. The ticket's under 250 bucks. We have sold a lot of tickets, and we're going to have um, a really big live audience there. You get to meet all our contributors, all our guests. We're going to be doing live shows for four days, and we're going to be doing stuff in the interim, breakout rooms, uh, meet and greets, all of it. And we're looking forward to seeing everybody there. Frank Gaffney will be there uh, and joining us uh, live in studio, as will other members of the Committee on the Present Danger China who will be around because this is obviously one of the central topics of this CPAC. Okay, it's going to take place at National Harbor, March 1st through 4th, just go to the, we got the site up, uh, Grace and uh, Captain Banner will be pushing it out. Short commercial break. Uh, the founder of the Committee on the Present Danger, Frank Gaffney, is going to join us after a short commercial break. Bring it on and now we'll fight to the end, just watch and see. It's all started, everything's begun, and you are over. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Uh, MyPillow.com, promo code WAR. Remember, we're here grinding seven days a week, and it's long days, uh, but we, get, we don't get a ton of sleep, but we get great sleep, and we do that on the products of MyPillow. The MyPillow 2.0, this is where um, Mike Lindell has put so much effort, research into this, been working on it for years. It just launched. Buy one, get one free. Go to MyPillow.com. Promo code WARROOM. Buy one, get one free. Also, when you get to the square, you get all the other huge sales they've got going on, the discounts and inventory, all that. But the MyPillow 2.0 is available today. Order it. You get one free. Buy one, get one free on MyPillow 2.0, the one that brings uh, takes the heat away, brings some cooling. I know uh, everybody here in the WARROOM raves about it. This is how we get the great sleep that we need. 
Frank Gaffney, you know, here's the thing. The CCP is now playing a major role in this Ukraine situation, as we said it would. It's coming in kind of bigfooting uh, Biden and everybody. I want to go back. This is their plan to control the Eurasian landmass. It started years ago with One Belt, One Road, uh, which they were going to use kind of predatory capitalism, the, the East India Company in reverse for elite capture and all that. Uh, and they were building these connective uh, tissues to tie together markets and networks all the way deep into to Europe through the, you know, across the stands in Pakistan, uh, Iran, all that. Now they're actually putting together a alliance with the Ayatollahs in Iran who just, you know, the Persians went and had a state visit to um, uh, to Beijing this week. They've, they've also been invited to Tehran. They're going to go. She's going to go to. Uh, Moscow, he just left Saudi Arabia. Iraq has notified us that their current um, their current massive oil deal, output deal with the Chinese, is not going to be paid for and converted into dollars and paid for. They're going to do it in, uh, in the Chinese currency of yuan, which is a game changer. Um, they're, 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 you know, getting close to the Turks. Uh, they obviously have this uh, partnership of, you know, what they call a bottomless partnership. It's, it's, it's a core partnership. It's like the Nazis and the Soviets in uh, 1939. This war now for the Eurasian landmass, is this the axis that we're looking at? And if that's the case, and it's a two-front war in Ukraine or in that part of the Eurasian landmass, and then, you know, halfway across the world in the South China Sea and the Straits of Taiwan, uh, in the United States, let's be, let's be blunt the, the, we don't have allies. We have vassals. The, um, the uh, you know, two allies we have are small that are real allies are Israel and I guess still UAE who punch above their weight uh, in, in India to a degree. Uh, you know, we have Japan, we have Korea, but these are all, you know, don't punch above their weight. And we have Europe, which NATO's a group of deadbeats. So how do we confront this? How do we confront this? Economically, how do we confront it politically? How do we fund it with information warfare? And most importantly, if we have to, how do we confront this kinetically? Steve, it has to start with clearing our decks, to use an old naval term you're familiar with, of the people who are playing for the other team. I, I don't know how to get around this, but you cannot conceivably contend with an adversary that has been working as hard as the Chinese communists have, as we've discussed, for decades with people in senior positions of leadership, uh, whether it's in government, and that means not just in the Biden administration, it means not just the president, by the way, but his senior officials with the uh, with portfolios that touch on China, basically throughout the government, they are all, well, compromised, I think, is not an adequate term for it. They have all been making deals with the Chinese that I think constitute betrayal of our country. You cannot have that. Or, or in senior positions in business or the financial sector or the media or elsewhere. This has to stop. So one of our recommendations in the indictment, and we have 20 of them, by the way, is not only we have to investigate those who have these kinds of ties, and we have to ensure their removal, whether it's through resignation or whether it's through impeachment or through firing or whatever other means, they must no longer exercise 
control or power in our country. Moving on from that, clearly we have to be thinking creatively about what do we do. And, and let me come to the military piece of this in a moment. But I think it starts with, as we talked about earlier, putting our country on a war footing. Clearly, we cannot continue to rely upon the Chinese for critical materials, critical minerals, critical commodities, critical chips, and so on. There's too much of that. Medicine, there is way too much of that as it stands right now. We will not be able to turn it off overnight, but we have to immediately begin tapering it off, uh, diversifying our sources wherever we can, and with the utmost urgency, onshoring, as they say, those critical supplies. When we do that, I believe that we will find um, we have begun, combined with cutting off the funding to the Chinese Communist Party, which we spoke a moment ago, changing the dynamic that we currently face. In addition, I think we have to be using our own supply chain leverage. And we don't have a lot of it, but one area is food. They're trying to buy up our agricultural land. They're trying to buy up as much as they can of our food uh, processing and production facilities, what's left of them. Many of them are burning up or having planes crash into them, unbelievably. But what's left, the Chinese are trying to buy. That has to be stopped. And we ought to be making clear that you're talking about going to war with us. Uh, we obviously are not going to be in a position to feed you in that circumstance. We need to be moving, I think, as well um, to come to the military uh, in a direction that a, a very impressive um, Air Force general officer by the name of Mike Minahan, a four-star who commands the Air Mobility Command, um, issued a memo to his subordinates a month or so ago now, Bracing, I thought very impressively so, especially given the kind of environment he works in, in the Biden military. He said, we're going to be at war with the Chinese Communist Party by 2025, not because we want to, but um, they do. And he thinks that's what's coming. And he said to his troops, we need to begin training right now to use whatever capabilities we have to the fullest in order to maximize deterrence. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to bring a lot more kit to bear. We probably can't do that for the reasons we've been discussing. But we can make more creative use of assets. For example, he mentioned to his troops, look at getting our KC-135 tanker fleet configured to launch 100 drones or unpiloted aerial vehicles, as they're called, from them, creating swarms of offensively capable assets using existing equipment like those uh, those aircraft. That's the sort of thing that we need to be doing urgently. I don't know there's much of that going on. In addition, I believe we need to be supplying what we can as a matter of the utmost urgency to Taiwan to increase the deterrent there to uh, the Chinese aggression. And that would mean, I think, putting American forces on the ground in numbers as well. I think there's a but, small but, element let, there. Let me stay, let me stay with that. Yeah. So you talk, I want to go back to the indictment for a second about when you're, you're calling these guys out. But let me deal with Taiwan right now. This is what's driving me mad. You can't possibly do that, given the capacity. We're at full capacity utilization. They're working three shifts a day. 
in these ammo plants. And quite frankly, for the military industrial complex, it's the best thing to happen because the cash flow for this is enormous because they already have the invested plant. This is just running the production line. If you're at full capacity and essentially all that capacity is going to um, going to Ukraine and we know that the let's take the M1A1 tank production facility in Lima, Ohio, what I hear is not just the 31 uh, M1A1 tanks that, that Captain Bannon forward deployed over there into the Baltics and the po- Poland in, in the spring of 2014 when uh, when the U.S. government and Victoria Nuland took the democratically elected, although Putin-aligned government down. Not that these guys were thinking long-term, not that they had a plan long-term that they wanted to do here, but that the second tranche of those M1A1 tanks have taken – uh, precedent over the ones that Taiwan has ordered and we've authorized. So when you say we got to send uh, more arms and, and, and Taiwan's begging for it, when you've put everything you've got and all your forward capacity into, into Ukraine, how do you possibly do that? It's not easy, obviously. Uh, we've depleted, I think, our own resources. We talked recently about uh, the fact that we've gone into stocks that we have of some of this equipment in South Korea to send to Ukraine and also in Israel. And I think these are these are strategic missteps, Steve, because um, my guess is that uh, the next phase of this war, the second front, may well begin on the Korean Peninsula. I think the North Koreans are being told by the Chinese, get ready, you're, you're going to be the leading edge. And they're certainly behaving that way. Uh, but whether that's the case or not, having um, forward deployed stocks in theater is going to be critical. Israel may well go for it with Iran any day now. That, that theater is going to light up, it's my guess, because they sense that when even the International Atomic Energy Agency generally late to the party on the the Iranian threat, is saying that they're now at an 85% enriched uranium threshold, which gets you pretty much into the zone for nuclear weapons purposes. That That's a, that's a threat to Israel's uh, existence that cannot be tolerated. So all of these things mean I think we have to be end, ending uh, some of this transcriptment that we cannot afford to make at the moment to Ukraine. Hang on. We're, Frank Gaffney is going to stick with us. We're going to talk about the potential battlefields around the world. Where do we stand with all that? Also, we're going to go back to the uh, who has betrayed us already. Only in the world. move toward an endgame? How do we move toward a negotiated peace? Well, I think that's up for the Ukrainians to decide that. Uh, so what is acceptable to Ukraine, uh, that's, that's territory intact, whatever that answer is going to be. Is it militarily possible for us to get Russians, for the Ukrainians, get every Russian troop out of their country and Crimea? I don't think it's militarily possible for the Russians to achieve their initial strategic objectives, political objectives, by military means. I don't think that's possible anymore. On the flip side, uh, the Ukrainians I think for this year, it would be very, very difficult, uh, not impossible, but very, very difficult uh, for the Ukrainians to achieve their political objectives. And, and their stated political objective is to, for, for every single Russian to leave every single inch of Ukrainian territory. I think that's a very high bar. I think from a military standpoint only, that would be extraordinarily difficult to achieve militarily this year. Uh, what is achievable 
uh, I think, is uh, significant uh, liberation of, of Ukrainian territory. And maybe, <clears throat> if we're lucky, touch wood, uh, uh, the diplomats will enter the fray here and, and, and they'll get to a negotiating table at some point. Uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, President Biden, President Zelensky, uh, every European leader has said the same thing, which is this war will end at a negotiating table. And that's probably right. Frank, when you were in the Pentagon in the 80s, when I was there in the early 80s uh, as one of the aides to the chief of naval operations, um, having come back off the fleet and our, my anti-submarine warfare destroyer, our mission and mandate was essentially hunting fast attacks, Soviet submarines. There was there was the the battle plan at the time. There was there was all about maneuver warfare, combined arms, maneuver warfare, deep interdiction. You know, maybe it would lead to if things didn't turn out right, it might lead to tactical nuclear weapons. This is where they forward deploy the Persians, others. But there was never a plan. At the least I saw, and I think I think I had to go through all of them and sit through all the meetings, where there was a World War One type just pounded out artillery shell for artillery shell. As you've seen this Ukrainian war develop over the last year, and now they're just pounding each other relentlessly, and, and really we're, we're feeding in all of our munitions. I think the Chinese have already started supplying the, the Russians. The only way really the Russians can keep up at it. Um, when, when, when you hear Milley sit there and admit that it, it's impossible to, to, to remove all Russians from all land, and we now call them war criminals. And he kind of flippantly says, this will all end at the negotiating table. Walk me through that. It, 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 w did you ever see any plan for just this World War I type, in-your-face, trench warfare, attrition warfare? And that means basically you run out of munitions, you run out of money, you run out of men. And if it's all just to get to the negotiating table, why are they not at the negotiating table now? Good question, Steve. I, I'm not sure that I saw all the plans that you saw, um, whether there was some contingency for a World War One style thing somewhere in the files. I don't know. But uh, my guess is that we have not been terribly serious about war fighting uh, on the European continent for decades. Let's face it. Um, you, you mentioned earlier the the hollowness, really of NATO's forces on the ground. Uh, we, in the peace dividend moment, uh, decided to withdraw a lot of our forces. Some of them, Captain Bannon, among others, took back. But still, it's a, it's a fraction of what it was at the height of the Cold War, for sure. And most of those allies, I'm not sure I would characterize them as vassals, but I would certainly suggest that they're not armed for their self-defense. And they are relying upon us to provide that defense to them. Whether that's done through um, some kind of uh, maneuver capability, whether it's done through um, advanced technologies that are more, uh, you know, uh, delivered by missile or by aircraft rather than on the ground, um, whether the, uh, the use of uh, nuclear weapons is involved are all things that I think have been um, not properly um, reevaluated in light of very different circumstances that are unfolding today. Just today, I think it was uh, Medved, yesterday maybe, um, the prime minister now, uh, again, I think he's called, or maybe deputy president or whatever, something. He and, he and Vladimir Putin have exchanged places several times, and I can't quite keep straight 
um, what exactly his title is, but he, he's a senior guy in the Kremlin, and he's talking about moving the um, eastern border of Poland. And has has NATO been properly thinking about that and preparing against that eventuality through any of these means? Not clear. But I will say, if I could, Steve, I was in, intimately involved when I was in the Pentagon a long time ago in taking the steps that Ronald Reagan insisted upon to restore deterrence on the continent of Europe by deploying their two different systems, uh, what were called intermediate range nuclear weapons. They were the Pershing ballistic missiles and the ground launched cruise missiles. And I was among those who argued um, vociferously that we should not go into an arms control deal with the then Soviet Union that required us to get rid of all of them. Whilst they would still, you know, have considerable theater and tactical nuclear weapons, maybe not SS-20s, but maybe even those secretly. But it was a moment, and I think it was actually decisive to the strategy that President Reagan executed, and you've chronicled it better than just about anybody, of using peace through strength and using our own unrestricted warfare against the then Soviet Union and, uh, and Soviet Communist Party to take them down. And it was done without firing a shot in the end, partly because of that peace through strength strategy, the credibility of our deterrent, and more broadly, the will that Ronald Reagan exhibited to do just that. None of those things are operating today, and I think our enemies are emboldened as a result. When you talk about potential battlefields of maybe it starts in Korea, maybe it starts in the South China Sea, maybe it starts with an air naval blockade of Taiwan, of which the American economy would crater. Maybe it starts in the northwest frontier up where China, the CCP and the Indians are basically at the at bayonet's edge with each other. Uh, maybe it starts in uh, in the Middle East with uh, with Persia and uh, in, in Israel um, or maybe it just metastasizes. Uh, from 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 Ukraine, all of that is under the uh, umbrella of potential strategic nuclear forces. Talk to us about that because we really, in, in public discourse, we haven't talked about this in decades, and now all of a sudden you've got Putin making moves and jumping out of the START treaty. And like I said, you know, my destroyer back in the old days, in the seventies and eighties, you know, we car everybody carried tactical nuclear weapons. But it was not discussed, and it was not discussed generally as 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 uh, policy. Now on TV every day, you see on MSNBC and CNN, they got these military analysts flippantly talking about low grade tactical nuclear weapons in in, in Crimea, in eastern uh, eastern uh, 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 Ukraine, over there at the Russian speaking border, and now you've got uh, Putin pulling out of the start and talking about redeploying your strategic weapons. How close do you think we are? Because we're normalizing even the discussion. Trump came out the other day called the two N-words, right? How, how concerned are you, since part of your professional career was doing this in Europe, are you today about the nuclear strike capability of all this and actually getting to a situation that would actually people would be talking about using and actually maybe using uh, nuclear weapons on a battlefield? You know, again, just a little context. Uh, I was working on that intermediate-range nuclear forces uh, stuff uh, as a deputy assistant secretary in the Pentagon uh, for four years or so with the responsibility of nuclear weapons policy and arms control. 
So I, I was living and breathing this uh, for the early part of my career, and I've been worried about it ever since. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think we have taken, I guess the Brits' expression is a busman's holiday for a couple of decades. I think I mentioned to you the other day that uh, we had essentially done nothing to modernize our nuclear arsenal. I mean, there's been some service life extension programs and we've retooled some of our warheads, but we have not innovated. With the exception of some modernization programs that are now still five, six years out from replacing old missiles and old bombers and old air, uh, old uh, sea launch ballistic missiles and submarines. These are, these are the sorts of things that should have been done all along we have not done it. And I'm convinced that the American people have not had any clue that the adults who they assumed were responsible for maintaining a credible nuclear deterrent were not doing that. We're not actually regularly testing. We have not tested a nuclear weapon underground since 1992. Vladimir Putin is threatening that he's going to do it if we do it. Well, I haven't seen any sign that the Biden administration th is even thinking about that. They should, because we need to assure ourselves that those nuclear weapons that are aged and have actually been, in some cases, um, altered from their original design just to try to keep them going, um, will actually work. But that's not really on the table. But what has to be on the table is deterrence, credible deterrence. And one of the steps that I think you asked earlier about, what could we be doing? We could be replacing on the intercontinental range ballistic missiles we have, the land-based ones that the balloon was overflying in, uh, you know, Montana and uh, Wyoming, and the submarine-launched ballistic missiles, full loads of the missiles that they uh, are, you know, the warheads that they're capable of carrying those missiles. Uh, that would very, very dramatically, uh, I believe, increase the deterrent to these adversaries to contemplate nuclear strikes against us. Something that they not only have been preparing assiduously for, both the Russians and the Chinese, but they've actually been exercising jointly to launch against us. Uh, and again, this all bespeaks a seriousness of purpose that we have not evidenced and we must if we want to try to prevent what is, I believe, uh, unavoidable and certainly um, undesirable conflict with these guys. Uh, Frank, how can people get to the Center for Security Policy, all the great um Webinars, because for over a year now, I mean, for a couple of years we've been doing it, but you've had this webinar program of the enemy within and also the enemy without, and also the indictment. We know you're going to launch at CPAC, but where do people go to get all your information, the Real America's Voice show, all of it? Well, it's a couple of sites. Um, the presentdangerchina.org is where you can not only see these webinars, uh, the 70 in the recent series and, and others going back about four years since we started the program. You can sign up, uh, subscribe uh, to get those you know, uh, notices and all sent to you directly at presentdangerchina.org. Uh, the website of our Center for Security Policy, which has an enormous amount of content, both about China but also many other things, is at securefreedom.org. Real America's Voice is where you can see our show. Um, we're very proud to be on that 
network with you, Steve, and uh, you can also capture it and uh, uh, my daily commentaries, uh, which I also would encourage you to subscribe to at uh, securefreedom.org and securingamerica.tv. And uh, on social media, the usual at Frank Gaffney platforms. Frank, thank you so much for taking time away from this. Obviously, you're going to be a, a much bigger Privileged. part of the show as we go forward. In the early days of the Third World War, sir, thank you very much, Frank Gaffney. Thank you, Steve. God bless you. Um, man, what a mess. What a mess we're in. It's incredible. Okay, uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. We're going to come back. I've got some closing observations and comments and also going to leave you with something that's high energy. All next, only in the war room. arrived the new social media taking on big tech protecting free speech and canceling cancel culture join the marketplace of ideas the platform for independent thought has arrived superior technology no more selling your personal data no more censorship no more cancel culture enough getter has arrived it's time to say what you want the way you want download now I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. So help you God? So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. Well, America, meet your new first family. They, uh, the Bidens are walking into the house now, the White House, where the president and first lady will make their new home. And for anybody out there wondering, yes, there has been a deep clean of the building, given the fact that the previous occupants did not take coronavirus particularly seriously. World War Three, okay? It is World War Three, but we have a sacred obligation. Just understand, and don't kid yourself, no matter what you all say, let's get it straight here, guys. Where we were a year ago, the direction we're headed in, World War III. vaccination. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. Do you know we don't rule out uh, first use nuclear? are so bad that one woman who News Nation has been in contact with has rashes on her body after showering. We're going to be with you, Mr. President, for as long as it takes. How does this whole experience feel for you? 
um, that money matters more than humanity. Okay, War Children, right there you see uh, that incredible video by Max Evans. You see the um, the tale of three cities, East uh, Palestine, Ohio. Of course, the border down there, a lot of that footage was taken at uh, El Paso, right? El Paso, Yuma, it's real Grand Valley. What are, what, you take your pick on the invasion of the southern border, the border that matters to us. And, of course, the um, Ukraine and you've got, uh, was it Senator Wicker of Mississippi? He's a Republican talking about we have not ruled out first use tactical nuclear strikes. The uh, the language is getting very loose. And what we're trying to do is tighten up here and make sure that you guys have the best understanding. You're provided the best information, whether that's about the financial crisis that we face, the economic crisis or the uh, early days of the Third World War as we slide more and more into a kinetic war. So that's why there's that video for the um, with the Gimme Shelter and the War Children, I think, is very, very appropriate. Obviously, in the coming week and next week at uh, CPAC, you still can get your tickets. Go to CPAC.org slash war room. You get 47 bucks off that. We want to see everybody there. We're going to have so many of the people that you see all the time. You get to meet them. You get to hang out, uh, ask their opinions. Also, uh, tonight I'll be in Oklahoma City uh, with the Oklahoma County GOP. For their Lincoln Reagan dinner, I'm giving the talk, and it's at the Cowboy Hall of Fame. I think it's called the Museum of Western Heritage. It's absolutely a, one of the great museums in this country, and I couldn't be more excited. So if you're in the greater Oklahoma area, you'll see it. Captain Bannon and, uh, and Grace will have it up in the uh, in the live chats. Um, and so we got a lot going on. We're going to be fully deployed at CPAC. We want everybody there. Also, want to tell you, one of the things we're going to be doing in the days and weeks ahead is because look, all bets are off here. I mean, you have people throwing around terms and about kinetic war that I didn't think I'd see again in my lifetime. And and having been on a uh, a navy destroyer in the South China Sea in the Western Pacific, to think that I don't know forty years, fifty years later, that you could have this, uh, you could have loose talk that they're talking about, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, and we just got through what I think was a part, at least a partial biological weapons attack. We are in uncharted territories. And that's why next week we're going to be launching is not just the indictment with Frank Gaffney. We've got a totally free, the the uh, Birch Gold. We've done the entire uh, third part talking about the debt trap of the fall of the dollar empire. We think that everybody's got to immerse themselves now in alternatives and look at precious metals. One way to do it is to get understand what's happened to the U.S. dollar, the history of the U.S. dollar, and what it looks like in the future. The My Patriot Supply guys, we want everybody to get immersed there. you got Home Title Lock, iTarget, which cuts the cost of your ammo. Um, the uh, satellite phone store, you know, every time they get a special, they come right to us. We we blow it out. It's sold out automatically. you got the public SQ. One of the big things we're focused here is stop giving your money to people that hate you. And one of the ways we're doing that is make sure that you immerse yourself 
and think about alternatives. I want everybody to learn as much as possible about crypto. That's what we have Mark Jeftovic on here, the FJB community. That's a community that we intend to grow and grow strongly and rapidly this year. Also, EnviroCleanse, which is I fall in love with because it was my, one of my responsibilities on my destroyer, was the, uh, was the air system. And right now, given what you've seen in East Palestine and what you're going to see more of as we get more into these hearings is going to blow you away. And, of course, the guys at COVID tax relief, you, you know, if you have went through PPP, you still got a shot for legislation already passed. You're not shaking down the Treasury. This money is already there to cover tax rates. We've got other sponsors, too. We're going to make sure you get fully immersed in all of it. Okay, I've got a roll here. Uh, we'll be back. I'll be up on uh, Getter all weekend. I want you to check it out there. And, of course, we're going to be back 10 a.m. Uh, Monday morning where we are going to be discussing the early days of the Third World War, the American economy. Congress is back. The investigation will start. CPAC's next week. It's going to be wall-to-wall jammed. We'll see you at 10 a.m. Monday morning. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Soul Tea. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% and do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.